What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. This is another Weekend Warrior series that I'm very excited about. Um, really cool episode. We've got a great guy from Texas on and uh, a good friend of mine through social media, and we've, we've been able to, to really get to know each other through Instagram, which is one of the cool things about social media. It can be a huge distraction in your day-to-day life, but it can also uh, kind of help you build relationships that you might not have been able to uh, beforehand. But like I said, this is the Weekend Warrior series where we're focusing on uh, guys that are really fishy that, that don't get a lot of time to fish, but when they do around their busy work schedules, um, they're very productive. They catch a lot of fish. They've got, you know, good tactics and strategies that they put into place that help them be successful. Um, and they're on this podcast to, to help share that with you and hopefully help you be more, more productive when you're on the water. Um, it's just, it's a fun community here and, and we're just excited to be able to share our knowledge with y'all so that you can hopefully be uh, more productive when you're on the water. Um, one thing I do want to share is we've started a, a, a private Facebook group. We do have the Eastern current fishing page or the Eastern current page. Um, there's Eastern current fishing, which is a private Facebook group. Um, you can go join it, um, ask to join it and we'll let you in. And it's just going to be a really cool community where the people that enjoy listening to this podcast and watching these videos can come to communicate with each other, to, you know, ask questions, to share tips, to, you know, kind of download information with each other and hopefully make some friends and some fishing buddies that y'all can go out on the water and, and fish together. But yeah, we're just excited about that community. Go, uh, go check it out. Eastern current fishing. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the sponsors real quick here. We've got I strike fishing, um, which is, uh, the, the middle piece between the relationship with the guy that I'm about to introduce y'all to. Um, uh, but they've got awesome, awesome tackle, uh, real, real heavy focus on, um, jig heads and, um, some other great products coming out and Eastern angling. That's my guide business. AFCO great clothing company, um, for both streetwear and where, uh, you know, clothes when you're out on the boat. So check them all out. And you guys, I'm going to introduce you here to David. Here you go. What's up, man. How you doing? What's up, Jeff? How are you? Doing good. Doing good. I, uh, I, I try to keep the hype up in that, that, uh, in the intro and I'm, I'm like, this is, this is not me. I, I listen to all these other podcast intros and everybody's like so amped going into it. And I'm like, all right, I'm just, I got to just be laid back and chill, but man, so stoked for you coming on the podcast. Um, thank you for doing that. And, uh, I've been, I've been blowing him up you guys about like times of times to me. I was like, could you meet, could you talk in the morning? Could you talk? When can you talk? And, um, he's been super flexible and happy to have him on here. So, um, why don't you tell everybody kind of your backstory and, uh, how you got into fishing and, and, and where you live? Cause you definitely don't live in North Carolina. No, I don't live in North Carolina. I'm from Texas on the Houston area. I predominantly fish the upper coast, which is a region from Matagorda to Sabine. Um, Galveston Bay is like right in the middle of it. Um, let's see. Some of my first memories of fishing was when I was, I don't know, younger kid, seven, eight years old. Yeah. We had an, uh, apartment, uh, we lived in an apartment. There was a lake back in, uh, behind the little subdivision. And my dad would get off work sometimes and him and his crew would go out there and hang out, drink some beers and I'd tag along and they would just do some handline fishing ball up a little piece of bread or some corn nibble and sling it out off of a beer can or beer bottle. And those are my first memories and, uh, experiences of fishing and that's super cool. going back to that. So yeah, going back to, you know, even what we do, I think it's what it's all about is that little sensation of, you know, a tug on the other end of the line. So it's kind of never let me go, you know? 
It's yeah, it's funny. It's like, why is it so entertaining? Like, what is the total draw to this? You know, and I guess it's just the fact that you're interacting with the fish in a way. I don't know. When I really think about it, I'm like, God, fishing is so dumb. Like, it really. Why am I so addicted <laughs> to fishing and like spend so much money and time and this podcast and a business? It's like. You know, it's just a fish and you're getting him, you're feeding the fish, but you're tricking him and putting a hook in there and pulling him out of the water. It's like, what's so, you know, addicting about that. But yeah, that, that's super cool. I, I love hearing people's stories about what got them, um, you know, into fishing for the first time. And, and it's usually, like you said, your dad or like an older relative or an influence on, you know, as someone as a kid. And you don't hear many people getting into fishing, you know, after their kids. Like if you get through that, like I, I heard a study on it, if you get through, I think it was if you get through 18, there's like really a tiny, tiny chance. But even past like 11 years old, there's a, a very slim chance that you'll ever come back and get into fishing. So I think it's so important, you know, to get the kids in our lives into fishing. And it's cool when parents do that. So um, so when when was your first, uh, you know, experience getting out on the salt water and, and looking for redfish and trout and flounder down there in Texas? Okay, so that's kind of interesting. So like I was mentioning about that growing up. I didn't really have much of an influence fishing through my teen years and early teen years. Uh, my dad wasn't really a sportsman. And, um, so by this time I had already moved back down to Texas. And, um, once again, it was another influence of through family. My uncle was a big fisherman and, uh, he took me down to a pier off of Galveston seawall. And, you know, we'd throw dead shrimp for catfish or croaker. And I remember hooking into one of my first redfish and it was kind of like something just triggered me. And I was like, okay, this, this I get it now. This is what it's all about, you know? So, um, yeah, I think um, early high school years, I'd still run down to the beach, hang out there and take my rods and you know, grab a couple pounds of shrimp and that's kind of how it all progresses. Uh, started off surf fishing, learning how to read the beach and struck out many trips, you know, and just kept going back. And I think uh, never let that sensation or feeling of wanting to get back out there. And then, um, I kind of started taking it real serious back in 2008 and it's been kind of progressing ever since. Yeah. Um, so like I said, um, originally just started fishing the surf, uh, chunking mullet for big bull reds. And then I kind of started dabbling with, uh, artificial, and ever since then, it was a game changer yeah. for me once I started fishing plastic. And, you know, um, I've talked to a couple guys in the past, and I never understood how, like, a piece of pink plastic could catch a fish. It never made sense to me. And then, uh, you know, it didn't look nothing natural. And then I just tried it, and it worked. <laughs> and then it just kind of, like, snowballed after that. Yeah, it's uh it is crazy. You know, you the progression of like you think of people that were in, you know the first first people fishing, you know, in our in 
Texas or North Carolina or wherever catching fish on bait and then realizing like, like why did they start fishing artificials? Like the, that transition from, you know, catching them on bait to artificials, was it like, oh, we couldn't catch any bait and so we had to start making our own lures or was it like this is getting too easy, let's try to, you know, was it a creative thing or was it like a necessity thing? Uh, I had that conversation with a buddy on the boat. It's one of those like very deep, really meaningless conversations, but it's, it's, it's a fun one to talk about. Um, so yeah, the artificials, man, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where, uh, our relationship begins. So we can talk a little bit about that sure. through, um, through eye strike. And so we, uh, that's how we met is, is David is, is, a is a member of the, the eye strike fishing community, the, the team as well. Like the couple of us that, that Dave and Ralph have, have somehow decided we're worthy enough, but it's just such a cool family and community of people. And, um, it's, it's cool to see how they've, you know, handpicked a couple of us together and, and we all, we all get along real well, but, um, what's your relationship with, uh, with Dave and Ralph? Let's talk about that for a second. And I strike fishing. Um, well, I have, uh, like I said, early years when I was experimenting with artificial and one of the things that kind of triggered my mind is when I first saw, uh, their jig on, on a bait. And I think that natural looking eye was convincing to me to where it did look more natural and realistic. And, uh, that's when I just started to, to fish it. And, you know, I've been fishing that jig since before it was ice track. They used to be called the, uh, Ralph Phillips inshore jig and, uh, just kind of started experimenting with, with, with those baits and different profiles using that jig and uh just became very effective and successful and just playing with that presentation of of bait and um and i think uh dave just kind of noticed and that's kind of another aspect of fishing is uh you know the, the whole photography and uh, showcasing your catches of the day and it kind of caught his eye and uh he he felt like it'd be a good fit for for me to represent the company and you know the the, the brand and when he offered me an opportunity to join I was kind of like shocked I was like really you know I'm just a you know average Joe that <laughs> you know catches a few redfish every now and then and uh, it was really honoring and you know we've developed a rapport over the years I mean it's been going on four years now yeah and. Uh, it's been it's been great really. Dave and Ralph are great guys. They they take care of the people and and uh I think it's good that they do showcase anglers with the you know, certain skill set to catch fish and they're not like uh these other uh competitors where they just want to showcase uh tournament anglers or you know, professionals and or I think they girls. understand. <laughs> right on you know <laughs> so no i'm with you I man. Think that was really they're they yeah they're just stand-up people and and truly neither of them do it i mean i'm sure they don't mind making money but they don't do it for the money i mean they do it for their love of fishing and wanting to create very productive products and create the best products for for the the angler the inshore angler that i mean really you know they're branching out and a lot of a uh, lot of stuff that's capable of of near shore and offshore fishing as well, just strength wise and weight wise. But um, 
but yeah, Dave and Ralph are great dudes and that they've, they've created this community of, of a couple of us together that that's just cool to see, you know, and I think that's what they wanted and what they envisioned, which was so neat. But, um, with that being said, let's talk a little bit about, um, first off, well, let's first off talk about lures. Cause we're talking about, you know, I strike right now. So being a weekend warrior and really just being an angler in general, you know, everyone's got some, some lures and some baits that they feel confident in. But also if, if I've got, you know, a limited amount of time, or if you've got a limited amount of time, what are there some baits that, that you feel like are better, you know, get it done baits and search baits where you're going to maybe be able to cover water a little bit better and, and find fish? Uh, um, I think, uh, for one, the, the boot tail bait is very effective for, as a search bait. And, uh, that's probably something that I'll start off with and, uh, I'll kind of work, a a different, uh, strategy when I'm approaching a point or something, I'll just start kind of fan casting and covering areas from my bow or the boat or the stern, wherever I'm fishing and try to cover some water and find a strike here or there. Um, so predominantly I like to fish soft plastic in a J it's just my go-to yeah. bait. It's, it works, you know, it so I just kind of, <laughs> I stick with it. Um, what tail were you saying you liked? Uh, like a, like a boot tail, oh. like a little paddle. Gotcha. Boot tail. Tail, paddle tail. Yep. That's what I thought you said. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, that's actually a good kind of a search bait that I, I would probably start off with. Um, another bait or another tactic, um, that I would consider, I guess a, a search bait as well is the the popping cork, which oh, yeah. a lot of guys <laughs> they kind of talk down on on the whole popping cork and you know artificial bait under it, but that is very effective. Oh man, it, it's it's so effective. <laughs> you you can hate on it all you want, but it, it catches fish, you know. So uh, I think that's also a good bait. Uh, I think the audible in the cork will kind of draw fish. Um, and, uh, that's something that I would probably throw where I'm having some current. Kind of. And, uh, sorry, say that one more time. We just, in a transition. We just glitched out a little bit. So you were saying that's something that you would normally throw the popping cork. When would you throw it? I would throw a popping cork when there's some current or like a wind driven current or any type of tide movement along a shoreline or structure. And I'll use the the movement of the wind and current to my advantage to essentially do the work, you know, just kind of throw it along a shoreline and let it catch a drift. And if I get a strike there, then I might come back to it with the jig because I know there's, there was a fish there. It's probably going to be another, another few more there too. So, um, do you ever see where the fish will will come up and smack the cork instead of the jig? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's it. That is just the first time that happened. It it scared scared the crap out of me because I wasn't really anticipating. I was expecting it to go under, right. and right. you know, you see a big old red just come and smash it, and they're they're just so you know aggressive. They you come back and strike it a couple more times, and that's why I was like, okay, you know what? Let me throw a top water at it exactly. and see if I can get them to hit that. So exactly. Yeah. That's, but, uh, yeah, 
that's a good telltale that's sign good. that you might want to try a topwater plug. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, so any other any other baits that you really you really like your sand paddle tail topwater or pop and cork? It sounds like you throw topwater a good bit. Uh, topwater occasionally. Um, let's see. Uh, there might be a variation of the jig that I might kind of modify with uh, so like the little spinner blades. Yeah. I don't know what they're called, but kind of like a diamond shape, and they'll have a blade that you can kind of run off the top or bottom. Yep. Um, I'll do that as well. You know, that'll kind of use it as a search bait, or if it's depending on what the water clarity is like, I think that that little flash of vibration will kind of entice a bite so definitely uh, yeah i think yeah those are i'm with you on that it's like when you're blind casting having a bait that's going to have more presence in the water as opposed to just like you know let's say a, a fluke or like a little soft plastic jerk bait you know it's got great action but the fish you know that they, they they react on like three different senses i guess is hearing seeing and feeling and so when you have a bait that they can see better hear better and feel better um the, your chances of them coming from further away to eat it i guess are higher and that's like all those baits you were describing like the paddle tail with the tail kicking back and forth you're hitting two of those because you get they can feel the tail and they can see the bait and then the top water they can hear it see it feel it you know the, those three senses you want to play into but sometimes it seems like if they're touchy fish maybe just one of the senses you want to play into because if they're spooky, you know, and you're too aggressive, that can, that can, do you see that happening down there some? Well, I, speaking of senses and, and it's something that I've been uh, kind of thinking about while I'm out on the water too, is uh, especially like you said, when you're blind casting for me, uh, a lot of places I fish, it's a lot of murky brackish water. Uh, we don't have the clarity that, that, that you have. I've seen some of your videos. It's just like amazing water, you know, just green emerald. And I think that um, a scent might be another one of scents to kind of key yeah, on in those conditions. <laughs> so um, those are other modifications to the bait that I may use as a, like a, a gel or some type of scented bait to kind of trigger their scent yeah. in those conditions. So. Uh, you know, sometimes you might get an extra bite with a little bit of smear of a gel on, uh, whatever you, that you're throwing. And, uh, so yeah, I think those senses along with the scent, you know, the vibration, the sound sight, uh, those are all little variables that can make or make a difference in yeah, you know, definitely. getting a strike. How the heck did I forget about scent? That's like probably the biggest one is scent. <laughs> and I completely forgot yeah. that. Um, and I think it's uh, it's very underrated too. You know, a lot of people don't really kind of key into that that variable. No, I I would agree with you. And I've even heard of people putting it on topwater plugs and on hard baits and whatnot. And and that to me that's crazy. I mean, not crazy. It's just it's something I've never thought to do. Um, it, it may be like a jerk bait or a mirror lure, but but like a topwater plug, you know if they're not coming up and just crushing it because they're pissed off that it's making all that noise on the surface, I mean, I guess it would help, but, but I, I don't know if I'd end up putting it on my, my top water. Is there a specific type of uh, gel that you like to use or type of scent you like to use? Oh, uh, well I do. Uh, there's uh, I, I prefer the Procure variation where it's kind of a, I don't know if you ever used it. Uh, 
but it's got a real thick texture to where it'll hold yeah. and it just stinks, you know? Oh yeah, it stinks. And you can open you can open the bottle and get a good whiff and you know, it's definitely gonna trigger their senses and uh but I, I do like that it has a thick viscosity to it that kind of holds on to the bait. Um, a popular bait that I've been using this past year or so is the jerk bait. And you know how they have a, like a little slit on the belly. Yep. You know, that's a good place to kind of just load it up in there. And, uh, it tends to hold a little bit longer as well too. So, Definitely. uh, as far as the sense, depending on, uh, what, what, what's in the water, you know, yeah. if there's a lot of mullet, I'll probably smear on a little bit of mullet and, and if I'm working a shrimp imitation, obviously I'm going to go with a little bit of a little bit of shrimp. shrimp. Yeah. So it's a uh, I I use scent a good bit, and I, whenever I'm not using it, I'm so frustrated with myself when you know a fish refuses a bait or something like that, and I'm like, why am I not just always putting it on a on a soft plastic? I've even put it on flies and stuff. Like this time of year, we get big schools of fish, and sometimes I can't tell my client that because you know fly clients can be like so or fly fishermen can be so, so like uh puristy and uh, hmm. puristy is probably not even a word, but such, such purists where they're like, don't want to use any sense. So I'll be like, let me see that fly real quick. And I'll like lean down in my hatch and like put some procure in there and like clean it up a little bit. And they're like, ah, oh, I just had to trim it a little bit and throw it back in the water. <laughs> but they fish can get picky. Like when I'm sitting there in that clear water, looking at redfish and we're getting good casts in there with fly um, and the fish aren't eating it, you know, they'll follow it for a second and not eat it. And then you put the little scent on there and you throw it in there and do the exact same cast, same retrieve, and those fish get up on it and they, they eat the crap out of it. So that scent definitely, especially when they're following a bait and they're getting that whiff off the back of it. I mean, if it's a reactionary bite where they're just seeing the bait all of a sudden and eating it, I don't think scent's that important. But when, when you're making a cast and, and maybe, you know, the fish sees it from a distance and closes the gap and then it's smelling the bait when it's, when it's following it, I think that's huge. And that helps close that distance. Um, big time so um well so what were you saying one other thing i was thinking of since we're talking about sense and their, you know, their effectiveness is uh one thing that i have noticed is like if i get onto some flounder and i know that they're around uh i don't know why it is but that those gels are more effective i feel like on a flounder bite than anything else and Rumor is, I don't know if fish can taste, but apparently that someone had said that it, they kind of tend to hold the bait in their mouth a little bit longer to where you can get a solid hook set on a flounder. Right. So um, now, if, like I said, if they can taste or not, I don't know. But, uh, you know, if it does kind of, if that scent or fl flavor kind of tends to hold them, they're, that little lure in their mouth just a split second longer. Yeah for you to react then you know it's it's worth the worth the shot but it definitely is so speaking of uh, what i like to use uh, if i'm on flounder i'm gonna go to like a main hayden scent and that's really like a go-to for, for flounder fish yeah and in, in texas down there is it uh you know are you, are you oh sorry we, we yeah. lagged out a little bit again what were you saying there no, I was listening to what you were going to ask. Oh, gotcha. Um, in Texas, are you catching trout, flounder, redfish all in the same areas? Or are you having to, um, you know, move from area to area when you want to target those different species? 
ten tend to tend to find them in specific areas. I mean, you'll get a school of trout here in your redfish hole, and and you might snag a flounder when you're you know working a jig on the bottom for a redfish, but they tend to kind of be in certain locations and uh, I might not necessarily out trying to get all three, but if I fishing for redfish and then I snag a trout and then I'm like, all right, well let's just move around and go try to get the slam. Yeah. Find them around uh, certain areas. What's the tougher fish for you to create the slam there in your fishery? Uh, The tougher fish. Does it depend on the, for me? Uh, well, it could be time could time could be a variable like uh, you know if you are going to target all three, it's probably best to try to get your trout in the morning. You can get your reds throughout the day and then uh, you know find a find a rocky structure of pylons and likely find some flounder in there too. But for me, uh, and that's just because it's my weakness is uh, is trout. It's uh, especially in the areas that I like to fish where it's brackish, it's not a lot of high salinity and uh, a good rain can just wash out the trout. So uh, to complete the slam, I would say that the trout, the trout. would be most, yeah. Here, yeah. If you were going to go areas. target those three, this is kind of a, a tough question, but if you're going to go target those three and you could choose one lure, what would it be? Oh, like one, would, and if it's a jig, like the jig heads and the soft plastic. So one lure. One lure. You got Can't it there with you. Right <laughs> Ooh, I like it. I it's a redfish eye. This right? is this is a redfish eye. It's a three sixteenth in a chartreuse color, and the bait is a four inch cow jerk from DOA, and the color is Texas croaker, which is a variation of purple, gold, and a little chartreuse tail. Man, I don't. Um, I've never thrown that color, but that is a good looking color. It's a it's a fire little bait, man. Yeah. I'm telling you, like I've always been a big believer in purples, gold are great, and you can't go wrong with a little bit of chartreuse on no, there. So, definitely not. I mean, this little bait right here, you can you can clean house with that. I like it. I like it. Um, well, let's do. Let's talk a little bit about. We've kind of gone through bait stuff, but your planning process. So you, you've got a busy week, you're working, um, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to be productive on Saturday. What is, what do you go through, um, as far as your planning process goes? All right. So, yeah, I think, uh, that is really a big part of it. And, and like you'd mentioned, uh, weekend warriors, we don't have the luxury to kind of scout all day. And when we do fish, we want to be as productive and effective and utilize our time as efficiently as possible so uh typically thursday i start monitoring weather wind tides and based on what it's going to do on that saturday then i start to kind of strategize how i want to hit the water you know depending on where i'm going um and one thing that's important to uh, i would say like in preparation to planning your weekend is kind of monitor what the weather's been doing in not just your area, but, uh, for me, like I I fish brackish, just like any cities or counties north of where I'm at, where I could be anticipating a lot of runoff. Yeah. 
that can affect uh, color, uh, salinity, and those types of things. So, um, yeah, Thursday, you know, when I'm at lunch, eating a sandwich or whatever, I'll log on to uh, Weather Channel, Tides for Fishing, and start start uh, kind of game planning. Yeah. And then um, by Friday, by the time I get off, work friday and go load the boat i already know what i'm planning to do and now it's just a matter of uh making my lure selection or color selection can i can kind of gauge what the water color is going to look like based on those previous wind conditions rain or uh you know other uh, variables in, in the weather awesome are there uh i know there's so many options out there now but are there any specific apps or you know, programs that you like to use that help you maybe make it a little bit easier when you're planning and looking at weather and conditions? Oh, uh, well, as you know, man, those, those things are never on point. So no. I, I kind of use three or four different sources yeah. and then just kind of use an average from those. And, um, you know, weather channel is obviously a good source. Noah is also another good source. Um, tide for fishing, is a good website. The mobile version called Naughty Tides is uh, is really good because you get everything in your hand. They got a nice little summary of how they can break down the, you know, even down to the barometric pressure. So um, those are my three sources. And then um, you know, it depends on who I'm fishing with. If I'm going with my wife or a friend, you know, we'll kind of like play off of each other and say, Hey, well, wh what does this source tell you? And I'll, okay, well, I'm getting, you know, 13 Northwest at this app and basically just kind of, uh, evaluate different sources and then just go off of an average. That's really what I do. You know? Yeah. I think that's huge. I can't tell you how many times I've been, it happens more with buddies, not clients, but you know, I've looked at my app and thought that it was going to be nice or vice versa. It's going to be nasty. And then I, I text Sam fishing with two buddies and each of us are seeing something different. So that taking that average is something that I need to start doing more often. And, you know, guiding, you kind of have to go when you can go, you're kind of what I, when I'm looking at the weather, one, I'm trying to like get a game plan based off of what the weather's going to do. But two, I'm just looking at it to make sure it's not any worse than X. Cause if it's worse than this, we're not going, <laughs> if it's better than this, we're going. So that's kind of like my, my first look. And then from there I start looking at the, the conditions and, and pick making my day. But, but yeah, averaging those three is important. And y'all have got a lot of like, it's shallow, but y'all have got a lot of open water. Um, so that probably has a big play if it's going to be really windy and, and whatnot of where yeah. you're going to be able to fish. Yeah. Those, uh, they're shallow bays with some structure and it's not like there's a lot of depth and contour changes, but just that subtle, uh, terrain can kind of really turn the water up and, you know, calm bake and turn into a washing machine just with a, you know, five mile per hour difference. So, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, and you already know, so whenever you are monitoring weather, you just, whatever the weatherman says, add like five miles per hour to that <laughs> at least. <laughs> or when it's blowing, he says it's going to blow 35. And so you, you call it and then you wake up in the morning and it's freaking two mile an hour winds and sunny. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I canceled my trip. Yeah. Or I'm not, you know, I didn't load the boat up. That's how it always goes. But sometimes those are the days they get it right. But most, yeah, of the well, time, those days when they call 35 and it's like beautiful outside, he's probably 
fishing a tournament that day and he's just going to you know take advantage of the water <laughs> to himself <laughs> that's smart yeah that, i might have to do a little uh side hustle <laughs> of being a weatherman just to get the water to myself so. or start right. start all these different weather apps and just put bs on them so that people uh people you know don't know when to go i'm just kidding I'm okay hey oh uh, one thing speaking of weather apps yeah so uh i had mentioned um tide for fishing and naughty tide and i'm pretty sure it's on naughty tide app they have two different weather uh, wind calculations, which is land wind, uh, land wind, and on the water wind. Oh wow! And that's some that's something that you can, because you know there's a big difference, especially when you're inland or on the coast, it's going to be blowing different. Definitely. So uh, those apps are got a lot of data on there, and that's one thing that you can kind of look into is the on the water speed or miles per hour and then land so okay and what I say that repeat that out one more time whether you can see the two it's called not uh it's called naughty tide naughty tides okay thought that's the one it's the mo- it's the mobile version of uh tides for fishing okay so so, so you can check out tides for fishing online on your computer on a search engine naughty tides is the app sweet um well cool well we're we're getting close to time but i have i have one more kind of question that, that I want to, to bring up and, um, you know, it, it's, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it the best, but, but throughout the year, how does like the time of year determine what you're going to be targeting and what you're going to be doing? Um, also like, how can you be, make sure you can be the most versatile while you're out there on the water. And one of the things that I, I brought up on a past podcast was like, um, you know, as a as an angler, you know you might really be dead set on just wanting to target redfish, um, but 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 having a, a a wide variety of fish to target and ways to do so is going to give you a lot more opportunity. Um, you know, based off of the conditions you got. This isn't even a question. I'm just kind of like flowing out with with all kinds of craziness. But how uh, how are you, or how do you try to be? You know, going out onto your day on the water, flexible to try to do multiple different things. Answer that one first. <laughs> uh, to be flexible and doing multiple different things, I would or say if you need to, uh, like if you if you're going red fishing and that's not working, like, you know, how can you what are what are some tips for how to be prepared and flexible to do other stuff? I think uh, you know, someone with limited time on the water uh is you just got to play what what they give you you know whatever the conditions may be you know um i don't really have that luxury to kind of really say okay well i'm just gonna wear out the trout today and one example of what i mean about playing what what the weather gives you is like here lately it's been really cold you know low 30s at night so that water temp is going to be really cold yeah. Uh, as much as I love to fish for redfish, I know that trout are moving in these colder waters and deeper channels. So, um, you know, if, if I want to go catch from redfish, I might have a better chance of catching trout that day. So I'm going to plan to probably fish a river or something with the deeper water where I think those fish may be holding, yeah. you know? So, uh, I would say, uh, and of course, you have to have some time on the water to kind of know what these fish are, are doing, or even just like uh, reading blogs or you know tuning into podcasts like that. You know, you'll pick up a couple of tips here and there, right. and 
Um, you know, obviously the colder water, fish are going to move deeper. So, um, like for example, this week, that's probably what I'm probably going to go target is some trout in, in the rivers and, and channels. So, yeah. So um, in Texas, I guess, as it gets colder, instead of those trout being spread out on flats, they're more congregated. So like larger masses of them in deeper sections. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, that's another thing I think, uh, being effective, uh, with limited time is kind of be proficient in the resources that you have and meaning like know, know what your, G, your, your GPS can do, understand what downscan and, uh, side scan can do. Because in those cases, like before when I would primarily, primarily just fish flats, I didn't necessarily need downscan, but now uh with uh fishing for trout in deeper waters that plays a big role oh, yeah. in me being effective is just being efficient in in the resources and tools that you have you know yeah on the flats uh, it's just like a thousand dollar uh water temperature gauge <laughs> is really what it that's is. all it is. <laughs> just show me how to get to the boat right that's exactly. all I know, you know <laughs> exactly uh, well yeah that's cool i think uh it's good to give yourself a lot of options and learn don't put all your time into uh, as as a, let's say like a beginning weekend warrior into one fish. Try to learn at the same time a couple different types of fish that you can catch in your area. That way, depending upon the conditions, um, you know, you can go target them in different ways. Like for me, a, a lot of times I'm focusing on shallow water site fishing, um, and, and early on in my fishing career, you know, if the fish weren't shallow, I didn't really catch them because I didn't understand or have any places to go catch them if they weren't up on the flats where I normally see them. And so I was shooting myself in the foot, not learning, you know, how to fish these other areas where these fish hang out. Um, so that's what I'm trying to get at with this, I guess, is just, you know, do more than one thing, uh, be versatile and, and, uh, utilize all your options. I think is important. Yeah, that is true. You know, just like I said, just play the conditions, play at, at, whatever it may be you know yeah. uh and just kind of experiment in different things um one thing i would say to, to really be effective in where you fish is get really familiar with the terrain uh the structure uh, when the bite's slow utilize your time efficiently like when the tide went slack it's probably a good time just to go plot and scan you know just start idling around putting around that little cove or bay, look at your screen and get an understanding of what's going on. And for your next trip, you're that at least that one step ahead. And it's like, okay, well, if I knew there was a contour or depth change here and it's, uh, it's cold, I might try there in the morning. Or, yeah. uh, if it's been kind of warm and that contour depth change turned into a nice flat fish would probably be cruising there you know, so, uh, I think that's important too, is just being, uh, being efficient time management from your preparation to the time on the water, even when the bite slow is just kind of maximizing yeah. your time. Cause we, we have very little, you know? Yeah, being productive with every spare moment you get for your fishing adventure, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. 
Those are those are some really good words. It's crazy. We're already at forty minutes. We've been talking for forty minutes. Really? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Wow. It goes by so fast. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think, uh, you know, as you as we're closing out here, that you'd want to share with someone? You know, maybe a, someone who might be frustrated with um, not being very productive. They're trying hard and not not catching fish on the weekends. Is there one last tip maybe that you'd want to share with them? If not, no worries. But yeah. Oh man, that's tough. That's like, a tough one. <laughs> or just a word of encouragement. <laughs> um. Wow, well, I would say. I don't know. You got me, Jed. Like I, I think we kind of kind of covered no, a lot of my did. strategies, and that's kind of like what I've been learning from is just uh, trying different things. You know. Like you said, if you know they're not on the flats, well, let's just – what can you lose? You, you, you've already lost half a day of fishing. Yeah, it, it'd be great to catch something to close a day, but you might as well just use that other time to, to scout and uh, learn the terrain. And Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's uh, – you know, and, and my big thing too is like if it's not working, don't keep doing it. Try something different. Try a different tide. Try a different area. Try a different lure. Don't beat a dead horse, you know. It's, uh, right. it's, if you do the same thing over and over again with bad results, it's going to, it's going to be more and more frustrating. You know, if you try different things, at least you're, you know, that optimism stays there. So, um, keep grinding. There's a bit, there's a big learning curve at first, but then it, it, the learning curves gets way tighter. You know, the more time you, you, uh, you spend in it and it gets easier and easier. Oh yeah. I've been plenty of weekends where, you know, you go weeks without a bite and then and as long as you're kind of learning something every time you go, you're just kind of going to enhance your experience on the next time. And oh, yeah. it's just it's kind of build from there, you know, for sure. week by week. For sure. Fish for fish. Yeah. Fish for fish. Yeah. It's uh, some, some pieces of the puzzle are bigger than others, you know, and, and as, as they start to come together, it gets easier and easier. But well, man, thank you so much for coming on. We'll definitely have to do another one. We, it'd be fun to do like a, get everybody from I strike on one. Like I, I need to find a way that we could all Skype in and do like this, like, just big strike family <laughs> podcast, but, um, I'll have to talk to Dave about it. It'll be, uh, it'd be fun, yeah. but and yeah, thank you so much. I, I, if you ever want to get up here to North Con and fish with me, please let me know. And, and vice versa. I know I keep, uh, I see you just crushing the big redfish, and I'm always like, God, I need, I want to get down to Texas and, and go fish yeah. with them. But, um, yeah, we'll make it happen one day. One, one of the places. Yeah. I still got to take you up on that invite. You know, you come down to Louisiana, we go fish them by you sometime. Yeah, so definitely. Definitely, man. Well, uh, well, thank you so much. I'm going to swap over to my camera here and, uh, and close the show out guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope y'all are enjoying, uh, the weekend warrior series. It's a, uh, it's a cool, cool idea. And if, if y'all ha- again, if y'all ever have anyone y'all want to hear on this podcast, um, you can send it in on Facebook, on Instagram. You can leave it uh, in comments on the, actually, I don't think you can do that on podcast, but you can send it on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and we would love to uh, love to just bring on different people that that our community wants to hear from. And uh, and yeah, but thank y'all, thank y'all for tuning in. And we will, I guess, see you in the next episode.